Hey, good morning. It's good to be here today. My name's Ryan, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and um, I believe my brother David, where's David in the hizzle? Come on up. David's got a little testimony he wants to share, so come on up. Lynn's got a microphone, and David's going to share that. Um, about three months ago, I had a uh, place come up on my nose. I've dealt with skin cancer in the past. And Tammy, of course, has been hounding me, go to the dermatologist, go to the dermatologist. And progressively kept getting worse and worse. Last Sunday, I came up and asked Ryan, I said, hey, I got this place on my nose. Would you mind praying for me? He said, no, absolutely not. He did. Got up for work Tuesday and it was gone. So, wanted to let everybody know that prayer is amazing. Yep. Well, that's sweet. I didn't even know that. That's really cool. <laughs> Praise God. Um, Jesus is so real and uh, wonderful and uh, just good to be here. Just a quick announcement. Um, intercessory prayer is uh, not going to happen tomorrow. That's just canceled, so we'll... Um, Hopefully start that back the next week, but tomorrow night will not be happening. So if you're someone who likes to come to that and wants to go, um, tomorrow night is not happening. Um, does anyone like stories? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I was a kid, I loved comic books. I loved stories. I was a story junkie. Like anything Superman, I would consume it. I remember my first Sunday speaking here, I showed a clip from Superman and I talked about the Snow Family Crest that's on his chest. And, um, and you know, just mused how, really, they put Henry Cavill's face on my body because my body's clearly better than his. And uh, so, yeah, I've just loved Superman movies being in them. I'm just kidding. Just reading them. And I, I just love stories. And I, the thing I always loved in the Superman story was, like, this kind of alien. Like, this alien who came from this place, but this alien that lived among us. And... It changed everything, changed everything for him, for the world, but it was like kind of like aliens among us, and, and I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, are there aliens among us? We're going to talk about aliens today, not like little green guys and UF, uh, UFOs, but I want to talk about a story about aliens. Uh, this is not uh, like an L. Ron Hubbard talk or some, you know, back to the future promo, but um, so... Those of you may know, if you've been around here for more than a couple months, uh, me and my family had the honor and privilege at the end of 2022, start of 2023, to go to Europe. And we had an awesome honor. I was invited <clears throat> to speak at an international conference where people came from several Muslim countries, from Syria, from Lebanon. There was even people from China there, um, Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey. Uh, we, were, we were the only Americans there. And I said a little bit about it, and I said, I'll tell you more soon. Well, soon is, you know, two months later. But I just felt like today was the right time. I just wanted to tell someone that story. Because I was born Jewish. And um, for me, a couple years ago, it was a very um, kind of an act of faith to go to the Middle East to minister to Muslims in Turkey. Because I grew up hearing that Muslims hated us, they wanted to kill us. That like the whole, uh, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau vibe, they hate us. And so I, I grew up thinking that Muslims wanted to kill me and my family. 
and all my people. And saw stuff in the news, kind of the Cold War was still brewing in the 80s, and uh, like the Iran-Contra affair, and you know, all this stuff, and uh, there, was, there was a lot of things that just kind of were brewing and were happening. And in my heart, um, you know, I, I just grew up with this thing in the back of my mind that, um, you know, Muslims uh, were the enemy. And then God completely rearranged my paradigm a couple years ago when in faith I went to Turkey on a trip and uh, got to minister to people who, um, who came from Iran and Afghanistan and these other places and um, got to see people come to Christ and got to see him move. And it was powerful to me, like being like a Jewish, a Jewish, uh, like Jewish Christian, Jewish American, that like the kingdom didn't have labels. That Jesus didn't seem like Muslim Christians or Jewish Christians or Catholic Christians or Iranian Christians, Romanian Christians, European Christians. He just saw his children. And so God lifted something massively off my heart and I was kind of caught up in the romance of it, of like, dude, there are people coming to Christ in spades in Turkey for the first time in hundreds of years. I mean, in spades and droves, people are coming to Christ. And God's been doing this great movement in the Middle East. It's the fastest growing place in the world of Christianity. You wanna know where the fastest growing uh, churches are, look no further than the Middle East which is really crazy. Like in Iran, there was 500 Christians in 1985. Now there's maybe 8 million. Yeah, yeah, let's give. In a place where you literally can die. We met, oh, I think we met a woman who's gone to jail several times, had her kids taken from her, had to leave because she was gonna be killed next time. We got to meet her and for the gospel. And uh, she was there getting trained, and she's probably going to go back. And so the gospel is doing amazing things. And in Europe, <clears throat> I've learned that for the first time in close to 100 years, Christianity is growing in Europe for the first time yeah. in that long. Europe has basically been dead. Christianity almost died. The place where it was kind of reborn <clears throat> with the Constantinople rise and the Roman church and the Anglican, where it all was <clears throat> taking place the most is where in a kind of a Stalin-Hitler world, it came to a screeching halt for many generations. But for the first time, it's growing, and I've learned that um, 80, I mean, 90 to 95% of the growth are not, anything but Muslim refugees that have come to live on European soil who are fleeing these despotic rulers and they come there and they're coming to Christ. Actually, about a 1,000 people a day in Europe are coming to Jesus. And that might not sound like a ton on a continent of almost 700 million people, but it's growing. So if you think if you do that math year over year, if like this year if it's 400,000, next year it's 500,000, and then like, you know, you do that out 10 years, you've got a lot of people coming to Jesus and that bandwidth, just like in Iran, where 500's grown to six to eight million. And when we're there, um, just ministering to these people, I was um, up, up one night, and I was talking to a bunch of people from a bunch of countries, and I'm like, so did you flee your country as a religiously persecuted Christian, or did you, um, how, how did you come to Jesus? So like, no, we came as refugees, because whether you're a Christian or not, it's just, it's really rough over there. 
And I was like, so wait, so you became Christians when you came to Europe? They're like, yeah. Some were like, I never even heard who Jesus was when we came to Europe. I'm like, interesting. And I'm like, you know, just tell me more. And um, they said, well, we're, we're here illegally. A lot of us have came here illegally. We spent our last money. One guy had been smuggled on a rock cart for hundreds of miles, pulled by donkeys. Snuck in, evaded borders, evaded uh, uh, Polizzi and Macedonia and Turkey and all across Europe. And, and now he was in Germany and just been there a couple months. And I'm like, so how did he become a Christian? He's like, I was just getting out to get a better life. But he's like, the only people that loved me or were kind to me were Christians. He's like, other Muslims wouldn't help me. The government wouldn't help me. Citizens wouldn't help me. He's like, but the only people that gave a rip about me were Christians for some reason. He's like, this dude who was putting on the conference, Brother Gerhard, he's like, Brother Gerhard loved all of us. And he shared the gospel with us. He told us about Jesus. He told us about hope. He told us about healing and change. He's like, and I got no other moves. I got nowhere to go. I live in a refugee camp, which is hell on earth. Crawling with bed bugs, with crime. With, um, they, he talked about a place where he lived that was 15 acres. This property's 14 acres. If you've ever mowed here or been around it, 20,000 people were living on a property this size. You guys have been to Festival and we have 1,500 and it feels like sardines. So 20,000 people were living here. So the water's contaminated. Um, it's just a brothel. It's just a thievery place. It's just a carnival of sin. Because most of these people have left their homes left each other and they're just stuck in these close confines. So there's beatings, there's rapings, there's murders, there's all kinds of terrible things. And he's like, and the only people that showed us any dignity at all were the Christians. And I've been confounded because I'm kind of a math guy. So I'm always looking for what's the variable in the calculus? What's the integer that can solve the equation? What's the thing we're looking for? And so I've been confounded the last couple years, the last you know, three and a half years about what's going on in Europe. And as a Jew, I've found like this, uh, like I said, romanticism of Muslims becoming Christians and you know, the reconciliation, and it is beautiful. And I love it. And um, I've just been caught off guard by the disciple-making movement. We were there, and just what Jesus was doing was incredible. Well, simultaneously, I've got life happening here. And as some of you know, I've you know, talked about our heart to help people that are trafficked and people that are um, in bad places. And you know, I've been meeting with a lot of different people, and I met with, I met with a new friend of mine who goes here named Jim, and he was talking to me about a lot of the trafficking stuff here. And... Um, he knew a lot about it. And um, just that, you know, that, and I was asking him, what kind of people are trafficked? What kind of people are in trouble? How do we help them? What do we do? And just something arrested my attention like this, like few things ever have in my life. 
Because I've been thinking about this Muslim thing, and I've been thinking about this refugee crisis, and I've been thinking about all these people coming to Christ, and I'm like, Jesus, I am jealous for a move of God on the earth where I live in my life. I'm tired of a shrinking church. I'm tired of a weak church. I'm talking about like our states, not like this church. But I'm, talk, I'm, I'm tired of what's been happening, Lord. And the church has been shrinking on our watch. It's been shrinking quickly, quickly going the ways of Europe. If we're not careful, in a generation, we will have a population, we'll have a post-Christian cult. We're a post-modern culture right now. We're not far away from being a post-Christian culture if the church doesn't wake up. Do you know that? We've gone from about, in the 1980, about 63% of people went to church. 1995, about 56% of people went to church. Um, yesterday, I saw a survey that 28% of Americans go to church. 14% of Gen Zennials go to church. Gen Zennials are people basically um, 15 to 35. So that is a massively evaporating clip. You ever seen a big puddle? And over time, over time, over time, you're like, whoa, that's just like a pool of mud, and then all of a sudden it just looks like the desert. We're, we're, we're nearing that desert, that critical mass space. But I've been having this thing brewing in my heart, like for the um, disciple-making movements in Europe, in um, Africa, and other places, and just here. And then I've had this thing for human trafficking, and my buddy said to me, he said, you know, and about, and he just said this little line, he said, about probably 80 85% of people that are illegally trafficked in our country are illegal aliens. And you've heard me talk about Kairos. Kairos is kind of like, um, you, have, you have Kronos, it's the straight line time. And Kairos is a word, it's a word in Greek where it's kind of like God's time. So we're going along our life going along our thing, and we're going across like our schedule. And then all of a sudden, God's time breaks in. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. I had this kairos that blew my mind. It was paradigm shifting for me personally in my life and in ministry, and I hope for the life of this church. And so that whole story to tell you, this kairos that I had was, been thinking about these brown people, these people that are a different color entering when you go to Europe. And who's here from Europe? Two people, who else? Three, who else? Yeah, we got, got some Euros here. Yeah. Um, right now, it's crazy. Like, I, I've had people tell me, like, there's a lot of Muslims in Europe. I, I bet of all the people I saw in Paris, London, Liverpool, I bet it was 20%, maybe more. It was a lot of Muslims. And you could tell because they looked different, right? It's like because they're, they're darker skin, they're darker hair, they're different language, different dialects. It was, it was amazing the critical mass of people that were there. And God just showed me something. He's like, Ryan, you're looking at this thing wrong. I'm like, okay. He's like, these people are coming to Christ because they're refugees. No one else wants them. No one else loves them. No one else cares about them. It doesn't matter that they're, that they're from where they're from. He's like, it's the fact is my church is being the church in Europe 
and that is winning people to Jesus. And where the Lord flipped this on its head for me was I thought of, we have this heart for trafficked people and maybe eight out of 10 of them are illegal aliens. I thought, Jesus, have we been looking at this equation all wrong? Because I know as a white suburban American, I know there's a lot of stuff that now about our borders or lack thereof and border control, and there's a lot of umbrage, discontentedness, a lot of division over borders, aren't there? And this isn't like a political statement at all, okay? If you walk away from this hearing like a political statement, um, I either didn't say it well or you didn't hear what I'm saying, so I'm, I'm gonna try to say it well. I've been looking at this wrong because I'm not saying open borders is like the move. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, maybe we've been looking at the people that are here wrong. Maybe instead of a blight, maybe instead of people that are taking our jobs, Jesus says, open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers in the field. I thought, we have people among us that no one else will love, no one else will care for, no one else will employ, no one else uh, will befriend, no one else will talk to besides people a lot of times trying to dupe them and coerce them into terrible working and living environments for their own gain. I thought, what if, what if the, the glut of illegal aliens like among us, what if that's God's mechanism for revival in our country? Do you know Jesus was a refugee? Jesus was a refugee. Jesus went to Egypt and fled. And I don't think they probably had signed up to do it legally. That angel told Joseph in the night, get up, the people that are here, they wanna kill you and Jesus, and well, just kill you, they wanna kill the baby, time to go. They fled in the night, and they were, I'm guessing, illegal aliens in Egypt for a time. These people fleeing here, I think most of them aren't fleeing here to blow us up or to kill us. I think it was a lot of them, just like these Muslims in Europe, they're just fleeing terrible situations to go somewhere better to hope they can make it. What if the hope that they can make it, God has something so much more for them than the land of opportunity? What if he has the kingdom of God rolled out before us for people that they come looking for one thing and he gives them another? Wouldn't that be just like Jesus? Wouldn't it be like Jesus? Like, what if we've, and, and I'm not saying that we don't disciple our people around us, but what if we were looked at this differently instead of looking at the people, like I said, like as this or that, or do they want to take from us, or they want this and that? What if we start looking at it? What if that's someone Jesus loves? And what if I'm the one that's supposed to share the kingdom of heaven with them? What if that's the move? What if that's the variable? Because I've been to disciple-making conferences in mass, and I've never heard someone say, well, that's, that's, that's the secret sauce. That's the, that's the fertile soil. But if you think about it, what is the best soil full of? It's full of crap. Seriously, when we look in people's lives that are the crappiest, generally those are the lives most open to receive the kingdom. And these women, these children are trafficked because they have no advocate. If someone wants to traffic them, they can't go to the police because then they'll be deported. So they have landlords, they have bosses, they have people that will use them and abuse them because they don't have an advocate. 
God's the defender of the weak. In the book of Leviticus, it says, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's chosen people were aliens. God plucked them out of a place and delivered them and sent them to a new place to reveal his kingdom to them. In Ezekiel 47, it says, you shall divide it, the land, as a lot for inheritance amongst yourself, amongst the aliens who stay in your midst. You who bring forth sons in your midst, they shall be to you as your native born, the sons of Israel. They shall be allotted an inheritance amongst the tribes. And then it says also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant. And I love this, Psalm 146.9. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the ways of the wicked. And I know this might be a wildly unpopular subject. I, I'm not concerned with that. Jesus' ways are not our ways. And I am not a Christian. I'm not a leader, I'm not a man. I don't give a crap about a political party, people. I got a king and his name ain't Biden or Trump. It's, it's Jesus. And my king tells me to love the aliens. He tells me to love those that can't love themselves. My, my king tells me that there's a great commission to make disciples, but there's a great omission of a church that doesn't make disciples in our country. And what if we've been looking all wrong? And what if the, the harvest field is right in front of us, the ones we don't want? Wouldn't that be just like Jesus? Look at the great reversals in history of what the Lord's done with displaced people. The, the empire, the Roman empire was overrun by refugees, these Judaic refugees who were kicked out in the great diaspora when Titus came and cleansed the place in AD 70. And the world was turned upside down. Do you know when the world was turned upside down in these times from AD you know, 35 to, uh, you know, Constant, uh, to Constantine? Over and over again. Do you know that there were things called black plagues? There were these diseases. Everyone would flee the city except for the people with the plagues. They'd be left to die. But do you know what the Christians would do, according to Rodney Stark in his masterful book, uh, The Rise of Christianity? He said the Christians would actually go into the cities where the dead and the sick were, and they would pray for them, care for them. These people would either get well or be supernaturally healed and come back to life. Christianity grew in the empire by going to the people with the black plague. It wasn't by going to the, to the elite. Christianity at other times grew amongst the peasants. Luther didn't go to the elite, he went to the peasants. Like the great awakenings happened on the farms and the people being chased off like in the colonists. The Christianity didn't grow with the elite. The Azusa Street Revival, Christianity didn't grow with the elite. We look in China, the underground church movement, that it's growing in jails. It doesn't grow amongst the elite. And we look in Iran, it doesn't... Do you know who are the leaders of the church in Iran are? It's women. The fastest growing move of God is pastored by women. Do you know why? Because if you're a woman, it sucks to be a Muslim. Your property, your chattel, 
and you never have it in this life, and you won't have it in the age to come. So women are the ones receiving Christianity, and God is growing amongst the women. Look over to Europe. God is growing amongst the refugee, with the fleas, with the lice, with no jobs that are there illegally coming across on donkey carts. God is growing with the despised and the overlooked and the unkept and the uncared for. Maybe we've been looking at this thing wrong. And I'm not saying open borders is the best thing. I'm not saying that. But the people that are here, they're here. I'm not gonna make a political thing about a wall. I don't, I don't care. What I care about is there are people in front of us that are being trafficked, that are being maligned, and no one's caring for them because we wanna politicize it instead of honor and obey Jesus. And if we're gonna be a godly people, a disciple-making people, we've gotta realize that God's game plan is different than what we're used to. We have to be willing to see it different. If we're in a Kairos season where God's saying now, God's saying now, like this whole COVID thing has been a great cleansing. It's been a great separating of the sheep and the goats. It's been a great God distilling and letting like the gold and the dross be shifted. We've seen about 40 to 60% of people not come back to church because I think God's clearing out the clutter to make way for those. Jesus said, I invited people to the banquet. I invited them. I invited the people with the flowing robes. I invited them and no one, and they all turned me down flat. He said, instead, go to the highways and the byways. Go to the bums, go to the losers, go to the refugee, to the prostitute. Go to them and fill up my house. <laughs> Jesus will fill up your house groups as you look at this differently. Jesus will fill up our church as we look at this di differently. Jesus will plant Hundreds of churches out of here if we'll look at this differently. Jesus will raise up a million people. We're talking, people are praying for a billion soul harvest. Let's go to the fertile soil. Hannah gave that great word about the soil. And not to pick, but Hannah's life had a lot of crap and pain in it. And she was so open to receive the kingdom and God's dumped blessing after blessing. And how many of us in our brokenness, Jesus picked on our cruddy, crappy soil and put beautiful things in it because the best soil is full of crap and dirt. If we wanna look for the people who maybe the harvest is ripe for, let's look no further than the people that no one else wants. And that's gonna be paradigm shifting for some of us. That's gonna be really hard to receive it's gonna be a political thing. And maybe it's hard for you to receive as it was for me as a Jewish person that Muslims could actually be my friends. I can tell you, if a Jew can be a friend with a Muslim, you can be a friend with a Hispanic person. We have a lot worse, longer history, okay? Just saying. <laughs> um, but I, I just think there's something God wants to do in our midst in this time. And uh, uh, Brian Tome, the pastor of Crossroads, said, he said, if you're not open to new things, then the kingdom of heaven's not for you. If we're not open to looking at this differently and being different, the kingdom of heaven might not be for us because why? 
I can prove positive that theologically because Jesus says at the end of Revelation, behold, I make all things new. I make everything brand new. So we've got to be open to looking at the world with a new and fresh perspective. I'm not saying give up your firstborn, but I'm saying maybe give up your rights. Maybe give up your perspectives. Maybe give up your political party. Maybe give up some of your time. Maybe give up in prayer. Or maybe give up uh, racism or bigotism or fear. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you have real reason. You've been hurt by a person of another color. Behold, I make all things new. And the Lord says, you shall not pervert justice due to an alien or an orphan. Deuteronomy 24, 17. You shall not. We all believe in the thou shalls, right? Like the big 10. The thou shall nots carry just as much weight in the heart of God as thou shall. You shall not pervert justice. What is more just to anyone than the wrath of God being lifted off their life and being reconciled to Jesus Christ? The greatest justice we could ever provide is to give the gospel to people. No matter what they've said or done to us or others, or that they don't deserve it or they shouldn't even be here, the fact is the harvest is plentiful. And Jesus says, look, behold. I wanna be part of a church, a lowercase c church, this church. I wanna be part of a global church that looks at it differently because what we've been doing hasn't been working. We want the banquet to be overfilled, don't we? Anyone here not want a billion soul harvest? Most of these women that we want to reach being trafficked, they're the ones that need help, that need hope, that need love. Most of the people that will be most apt to receive the kingdom are probably not doing everything by the book. But they don't need the book thrown at them. They need the book opened up to them. And they need living epistles that say, come on, come on in. You can hang out with me. Because I'm gonna tell you, this, this stuff is messy. But there's a new wave. There's a new wave. God, like we talked about, the winnowing fork has been on the threshing floor. And God's been stirring that stuff up, separating the wheat and the chaff. And I believe what's left is gonna be the, the, the people that will hang in there are gonna be people of great prayer, people of great unity, people of great discipleship, and a lot of the aliens. And what I, what I mean unity, I don't mean unified to a political party or to a government or to even a nation. Because I'm not an American Christian. I'm a Christian who's an American. And my first allegiance is to what the king says. Because I'm a child of the king. He bought my life. I'm not mine anymore. And if you've received Jesus, neither are you. So I, we're just gonna pray for some. If the worship team would come back, I wanna encourage you. We're gonna take some time and I want you to pray. 
I want you to receive and just say, God, we talk about kairoses. Lord, are there any ahas in here? If you're mad about something, maybe that's the kairos. If you're sad about something, if you're glad about something, what's God saying to you? What's he stirring in your heart that maybe you need to receive this differently? Because like, listen, I'm not saying this is perfect, but I'm saying like, you could not read through those books and see that Jesus wants us to mistreat people that are here illegally. You can't. Because every one of us is a lawbreaker in his eyes, friends. And when we start taking it out further, like who's, who's the first to go? You are a lawbreaker, so am I in God's eyes. That's why we need to look at the world differently because Jesus says, I fulfilled the law. You don't have to get it perfect, but you need to get it good. And good is, I think, the way Jesus does it. Jesus picked women. Jesus picked aliens. Jesus picked foreigners. He picked the ones, the zealots, the tax collectors. He picked the ones no one else wanted and we're sitting here today because somehow it worked when people just trust him. So I just wanna take some time. Where do you need to repent? Because that Kairos time in Mark chapter one, verse 15 says, the time has come, repent Repent and believe the good news. Where do you, where do I need to repent? I had a major repentance sitting with my buddy Jim, just sitting there and I'm like, Lord, I've been looking at this wrong. I've been craving something that's 5,000 miles away when what's in front of me, I've been um, judgmental. I've been racist, I've been afraid of. I had to repent. I'm repenting to you. Publicly, I messed that up. I've been looking for something that wasn't, that Lord had something different. I was onto something, but I was missing a variable. Where are you onto something? And the Lord wants to reveal today. What do you want, what do you need to repent so you can believe new? So you can do differently. We're just gonna pray today. And I encourage you, if you're really upset, search the scriptures, call me, I'll meet with you, we'll talk more. But I think we could go from addition to multiplication if we trust God in this thing that might be big, scary, a language barrier, a cultural barrier. I think there's amazing things the Lord wants to, can, and will do if we'll just say, Jesus, this freaks me out, but I'm in. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you come on my church? Would you come on my family? you come on my life? Would you come on my friends, Lord? Would you come on people far and wide, Lord? You're doing something. You're doing something special in this time at Vineyard Florence. You're doing all kinds of new stuff. I know sometimes it feels like a bumpy road or like a lab where a bunch of failed experiments, but Lord, we, we are trying. We're trying and we wanna come after you like we're on fire because we know you're the living water. So Lord, would you just meet us in this sacred space Lord, would you give us a heart for the aliens among us? Because Lord, you were once an alien and I believe that your heart is near to those, Lord, who have no other hope, that have no friends. Think about people, we're trying to build families on mission. Think about people that have no families. And what if they just said, man, no one else loved me but Chris Cousins' house group. No one else loved me but Steve Rourke's house group. No one else loved me but Kathy Henley's house group or Lucas, like what if, what if that was the kind of church that people said that about us? And 
in 20 years we're looking and there's thousands and maybe millions of people who says, yeah, no one else loved me but those Christians did. Would your kingdom come like that, Jesus? In your name, Father.